Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Giles Brandreth. This is Something Rhymes With Purple. And I say I'm Giles Brandreth, but in fact, I'm two jabs Giles. Because Susie Dent in Oxford, I have news for you. Since we were last together, I've had my second COVID-19 vaccination. Congratulations. That's excellent news. And I've had no side effects. I've got my mug. Wow. I've got my special two jabs mug which is, you can only drink from if you've had both the jabs. It's an official souvenir mug. I've created it myself, actually. We talked about this, didn't we? John Two Jags Prescott, and now Giles Two Jabs Brandreth. Exactly. Have you had yes. a jab yet? I mean, you're much younger than me, but have you had your... I have. I've had my first, and uh, so I'm awaiting my second. It probably won't be for a little while, but... Which um, one was it? And I did have some side effects, but I was expecting them. I had the AstraZeneca... I guess inevitably living in Oxford. And yeah, I did feel a little bit rough for a little while, but so many people warned me about that and um, it was doable. So it was it was fine. And then it suddenly dissipated and all was back to normal. Novelists should know, if they're writing novels 100 years from now, that there was a period in British life when people, when they met, didn't talk about the weather. It was a brief period, but it ran from about the beginning of 2020 till about, I'd say, 2023, when people simply talked about, when they met, uh, COVID, first of all, have you had it? Are you having it? And then, have you had your jabs? Who, which jab did you have? That's what People used to talk about the weather. Now, all they talk about is their vaccine, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's very, very true. And um, yeah, I can't wait to actually move on. And in fact, that's what we're going to do today, move on and move specifically on two wheels because you have been navigating London on an extraordinary machine. Tell us about it. Not two wheels, but three wheels. I'm two yes. jabs, Giles, but three wheels, Giles. This is because my wife would say, my whole life I've suffered from arrested development. There has been no progress. I was clearly happy, she says, as a little boy, and all I've done all my life is try to hang on to that. Enid Blyton's The Faraway Tree, that really is my idea of, of a good novel. And when I was a child, brought up in London in the 1950s, I had a tricycle. 
And I suppose it was a different era. I rode around the pavements of the part of London we were in, around Earl's Court, South Ken, on my tricycle. And I spent hours happily on my tricycle. And I think I thought of myself as noddy. I actually had a noddy costume. Oh, I can imagine you as Noddy. And I used to go to parties dressed as Noddy with a little uh, blue hat with a bell on and I I made my cheeks pink with my mother's uh, pink um, lipstick and uh, I I enjoyed being Noddy on my tricycle. So move on, literally 65 years, last year in the pandemic, limited to being in my part of town, not wanting to drive the car, not being being told to stay local. I thought, actually, why don't I get myself... A tricycle. My children all have bicycles. And they said, come on, Dad, give them the bike. And I thought, well, actually, I don't want to be falling off the bike. Uh, I'll get a trike. So I got myself a tricycle. I'm thinking now of getting an electric one, but the tricycle I have uh, is, a, is a wheeling thing. I love it because it's the posture is good. Uh, it involves a bit of exercise. And it can get me moving around my part of town. Do you ride? Do I ride? Yes, I do. And I I don't know if you remember, but during the first lockdown, seems so long ago now, but I really, really did go for many, many miles on my bike every single day. It was was absolutely my escape, my oasis, as I often call this podcast as well. And I just discovered loads of places that I'd literally been walking past every single day. And I just decided to go down residential streets and to see what, you know, what lay at the end of them. Um, went to some faraway remote places in, in Oxfordshire. I wasn't always sure how to get back, but I just followed my nose and I absolutely loved it. So I sadly, I have got out of practice. So when winter arrived, I was really fickle and I put the bike away and haven't really got it back out again. So that's what I need to do. May I ask what you wear? when you're doing your cycling. What kind of a bike is it? Okay, so I have two bikes. I was very lucky to be given a Pinarello for a charity ride that I did. Pinarello is a brilliant brand. It's like a sort of proper, a proper bike, I should say. You've got clip-in pedals, which took me a long time to get used to, and I'm slightly scared of going back there because if you forget to unclip at a traffic light, you just go sideways. That happened to me a couple of times. And it belonged to a former member of the Sky Racing Team, so it really was a, is a fantastic bike. But I also just have a, a road bike, which I use and which I love. That's, that's the one that I was primarily using last year. As for wearing, well, if I'm going on the Pinarello, I will wear padded cycling shorts. Padded Um, cycling shorts? Tell us more. What are padded cycling shorts? Padded because otherwise it's very uncomfortable, is it? Yeah, the saddle is very, very thin and it's very pointy. Um, And I think when people go, have you you heard of the exercise trend called spinning? No. Okay, this is what I also have done quite a lot of. So spinning is when you go into a studio and there's about... 20, 30 bikes there and you have an instructor at the beginning, very loud music, and they lead you through this regime of going very, very fast, increasing resistance. I mean, it's a really full-on high-intensity training workout. It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. But of course, that's not been possible at all during lockdown. But those who try that for the first time end up having extremely sore bums at the end of it. So padded shorts, definitely recommended. As I say, clip-on shoes and just a lycra top, which has got lots and lots of different pockets in it because most 
sort of a very keen cyclist, shall we say, will um, suck vigorously on energy gels and um, will be seen kind of eating half a banana and then throwing the other half away. And you need lots and lots of different pockets in which to store all these things because we'll get on to tribal language later, I'm sure. But there is such a thing as bonking in cycling. Have you, have you heard of this? I've heard of bonking, but not in cycling. Tell me more. Okay. So bonking in cycling is when you hit the wall. It's when you absolutely can't go any further at all. And the key to surviving a bonk, well, actually, you don't want to get near a bonk because by the time it arrives, it's too late. There's not very much you can do. And by the time you're thirsty, they always say, it's too late. You should have hydrated yourself before. So you always have to kind of anticipate needing the calories and the energy gels and that kind of thing. It's very complicated business. Can I, before we get into the the deep language, of cycling. You've mentioned three words that intrigued me immediately there, and I just wondered if you instantly knew the etymology. Lycra. Is that a commercial? Is that a brand name? Is that one of those words that's come into the language like Hoover? Um, It's actually a product, and we now use it. Yes, it is. I don't actually know whether it is now naturalised so much in, in English that actually it no longer has a capital L. No, it does have a capital A. It says unknown origin, but it is a trademark. Elastic polyurethane fibre or fabric used for close-fitting sports clothing. How interesting. So though it is a, a commercial name, we don't know its origin. We don't know... No. How intriguing. Yeah. So that's lycra. If you're the person who invented the word lycra, do please get in touch with us. It's purple at somethingelse.com. You also mentioned gel. Is that short for Gelatine? What is the origin of that? Gels. Gosh, you're you're on fire today. I'm I'm listening to you, and I'm 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 fascinated by how many words we now take for granted. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Well, first of all, I would say, have you ever if you ever had like a a calorie gel or anything? No. No. Okay. So they are really really sweet and um it absolutely is an abbreviation of gelatin because that is what they originally contained in fact probably most of them still contain it i would think but um hopefully you can get the vegetarian ones which i'm i'm using and uh, yeah that's where it comes from so cycling energy gels are quite a thing and one other word you mentioned which we're all familiar with bum and i know that's a very <laughs> old word because the first Uh, Well, the first speech from Shakespeare I ever learnt when I was a small child and hoping Mm. to be a child actor for my auditions, I learnt a speech by Puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream that included the line, Then slip I from her bum, down topple she, where Puck is pretending to be a stool underneath this old lady. So clearly, for 500 years, bum has meant bottom. Also in Midsummer Night's Dream, he was quite obsessed with backsides in those days. He was a character, wasn't he, Bottom? What is the origin of bum? Again, we don't know. Uh, From the Middle Ages until around the 18th century, so obviously this includes Shakespeare, it wasn't regarded at all as even vaguely rude. And you'll find kind of surgery and anatomical manuals talking about the bums of hens or cocks if they somehow were supplying feathers for these kind of, you know, elaborate concoctions and, and cure-alls. So it wasn't regarded as remotely rude, but for some reason it was then, it then became, I mean, it's not really rude these days, is it? But it, it kind of went, it slipped into slang, shall we say, rather than standard. English. And of course, in American English, a bum is a tramp or a vagrant. And that goes back to the German bummler, which was um, a vagrant again. And it's bummeln in German is to kind of stroll about. So bum is not a contraction of the word bottom. 
Um, it is a contraction of the word bottom, probably, but we uh, are only guessing at that. There's no, there's no kind of direct link between etymology and its appearance, if that makes sense. Well, how intriguing. There are still these mysteries about words that have been with us for hundreds of years. Now, let's hope you've got absolute answers on the basics. We're talking about cycling, what is the origin of the word cycle, and the origin of bicycle. How long have they been around? Okay, so they have been around for a, a very, very long time. So cycle itself goes back to the Greek kouklos, which meant a circle. And maybe we should start with the wheel, because the wheel is also included in this. I mean, that goes back further still. The wheel was probably invented, I think, around 4000 BC in Mesopotamia, which is present day Iraq. And that comes from a, an ancient word, prehistoric word, meaning to turn. And it gave us the chakra, which uh, you will have in yoga, the wheel or the circle. And it gave us a cycle much later on, thanks to Greek. And so it's all about revolution. It's all about turning around. It also gave us cyclone. And a bicycle is simply a two wheels. And a tricycle, as you know, is three wheels and so on. Unicycle is one wheel. So the bicycle, as a word, was first coined when? Bicycle itself, I think, came about in about the, let me see, I should know this, but I think it's around the 19th century. Yeah, the mid-19th century. And it took over from the velocipede. And the velocipede, that literally means rapid foot. Um, so the velocipede was the early form of bicycle and then bicycle came along, as I say, in the mid-19th century and then bike actually came along pretty soon after that. I seem to remember making a film for The One Show a few years ago about a sort of precursor of the bicycle called The Walking Machine. That was around the time of the Napoleonic Wars, around sort of 1815. What did that look like? Well, that was essentially, you, you sort of, well, it was really a prototype bicycle. You mm. stood aside it and you walked along and there were little mm. wheels and you could sort of sit on it, half sit on it, and the wheels would take you forward. And then that, I think, became the velocipede. And then I'd got into my head that the bicycle really originated in France. Um, but it can't be a French word because they call bicycles vélo in France, don't they? Yes, well, vélo and you've got velocipede as well, sort of all linked there. But the Tour de France was around, I think, 1903. And um, do you remember H.G. Wells? He, he said, cycle tracks will abound in utopia, which I think is lovely. And I think a lot of us would agree with that today, although, of course, road users often hate cyclists. Have you ever had a go on a real bone shaker? That's another old, that's a Victorian euphemism, isn't it, for a bicycle? Yeah, no, I haven't. But I mean, it's extraordinary, really, that, you know, women used to, to wear these incredibly long skirts and these really highly elaborate hats. And then they'd go to Hyde Park and, and spectators would gather to, to kind of watch them. But um, no, I do know that on the older bone shakers, some riders apparently used to sit on a raw stake in order to protect their um, undercarriage. And it was, you know, properly tenderized by the end of the ride. The penny farthing, I've ridden on one of those. Okay. Why is that so called? The penny farthing simply because the size of the wheel, like the appearance of the wheel, was like the penny farthing. I mean, it was simply a, a nod to the to the coin, I guess. Uh, um, I love the way you're saying that. I mentioned this to one of my grandchildren. They did not hmm. know 
what a farthing was. Uh, So we have to explain, if there are young people listening, the penny was an old coin when we had pound shillings and pence, and the penny was a large copper coin, quite big, a sort of inch in diameter. Yeah, and, and shiny. A quarter of a penny was called a farthing. I don't know why it was I don't called. remember the. I don't remember the farthing. I do remember the farthing. I think it had a wren on the back of it. I remember farthings, and that was worth okay. a quarter of a penny. Quarter of a penny, because it comes from the old English fiotha, meaning fourth. There you are. So mm. if you put a side by side uh, a penny and a farthing, you mm. get the the appearance that you got with the penny farthing of a very large wheel and a very small wheel. So that's the origin of the penny farthing. And I think that was also called a high wheeler because the wheel was so high. Um, Okay. Bicycles, uh, as we know them, I think, really I'm remembering this from this one show film, came about in the 1890s, the the, Mm -hmm. the sort of safety bike. And there Mm -hmm. were two versions right from the beginning, a ladies' version and a gentleman's version. And the ladies' version didn't have a bar across the front because, of course, ladies customed to riding horseback, a uh, side saddle, uh, could actually step across a bicycle, but their skirts or bloomers, there was no yeah. barrier. But men, there was this sort of metal rod between underneath the, the seat and the steering wheel. So those were called safety bicycles, I think. And that, they're, the, okay. they're, they're those kind, the essential shape of a bicycle we'd recognise today. Can I just ask you, just going back to your trike, I used to ride on a tandem quite often and there was nothing like riding on a tandem to get people smiling. It just is something that makes people send very benevolent hellos or waves or whatever because there's something essentially comical about it and the name tandem actually came about as a bit of a joke on the Latin textbook tandem, meaning at length. And actually, it was first applied not to bikes, but to um, carriages, which had one horse in front of the other. And it was only later applied to to the bicycle. But when you're on your trike, do you get lots of cheery waves? Or do you just get people getting very annoyed? Mostly cheery waves. Indeed, I've actually had someone, though I'm not on a tandem, singing to me in the street, Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, do. I'm half crazy, all for the love of you. How does it go on? It won't be a stylish carriage, I can't afford... No, it won't be a stylish marriage, I can't afford the carriage, but you'll look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle made for two. Exactly. And that's what a tandem is, isn't it? A bicycle made for two. But on a tricycle, people are very tolerant. They realise it's some old fool (laughs) who's frightened of falling over. They don't go that fast. They're reasonably wide. And so I feel, unless you're with very irritable people who are hating you being in their cycle lane and they want to overtake you, you're treated really very nicely. And you're more confident at taking the road, as it were. Yeah. And when you come to the traffic lights, taking your lane, being confident. And you feel yeah, less... no clip-on pedals for you. No, and you feel or less... clip-on shoes. Feel foolish making the road signs, you know. So I put my arm out clearly when I'm turning right or left. It's got a little bell. Uh, when I first got the tricycle, my wife insisted on me, believe it or not, taking lessons. And I got a cycle club to take me out on a couple of trips. And it really helped. It reminded me of the highway code and it gave me much more confidence. And the joy of the tricycle is you get to the lights, you can stop and you know you won't fall over. You can stay yeah. there. It is quite slow and you do feel you do feel as you're coming from a different world. It's got baskets at the front at the back. So I'm sent down to do the shopping. I fill up the front, fill up the back. It, it's it's huge fun. You've got a pannier on the back, I bet. Are they, are they panniers? They are panniers. Now, again, is this because 
the French pioneered cycling. I think maybe they were pioneers because that's another French word for basket, isn't it, panier? Yes. Well, it goes back to the, the fact that they used to carry bread. So you would imagine baguettes sticking out of a of a panier because it's a pain, meaning bread in French, uh, a panier, a basket for bread. And we spell it with two N's. And the French spell it with just one, do they? Just one, yeah. Tell me about the Tour de France. I, as a child, would go a lot to France on exchanges and for holidays. And I loved the Tour de France. Whenever it was on, we would go. It came seemed to come through every town and village in France. And one would go out and wave as they rode past, seeing who was in the maillot jaune, the yellow jersey. But do you know anything about the history of the Tour de France and words um, that are brought into the language? Do you know, I have a book which is on my shelf, which I really must read, which is about the history of the Tour de France, because it does attract huge amounts of um, interest. I saw, saw it when it first kicked off in, in London a long time ago now. Um, I know words like the peloton, you know, the main pack of riders in the race um, or in any road race like that. And that's French for little ball because they're all kind of bunched together. And if you're in the peloton, you're, you're, if, you, if you're at the front or at the back, it doesn't matter. You arrive at the same time. So your course time will be absolutely the same. So yes, you mentioned the yellow jersey there, the maillot jaune. You know, it um, was, you call the maillot jaune, but it began as a green armband which apparently was quite hard to see. And in about 1919, the, the tour's director, a man called Henri Desgranges, mm -hmm. decided the winner of the stage should wear a yellow jersey, simply in order to stand out. And, and yellow in honour of the, the sporting newspaper, Lotto Velo, they were sponsoring okay. the race, and they printed on yellow pages. So uh -huh. that's why it's a maillot jaune. Got you. So that they were more uh, visible. Take us through some of these technical terms and the origins okay. of the words. Simple words like pedal and salad. Sa sal Simple <laughs> words like pedal and saddle. Just before we do, I must just say, if anyone is interested in uh, the Tour de France or in the whole sort of ethos and the vibe of a cycling race like that, I do recommend a comedy from the early 2000s called Belleville Rendezvous. And it's an animated kind of comedy film but it's it's quite dark as well and it's about a grandmother raising her grandson champion who is um an orphan and they watch this show on tv um i actually won't tell you too much about it because it will it will ruin it for you but it's essentially how Champion gets a tricycle, indulges in, in a passion that he has built up over the years, thanks to his grandmother and thanks to this TV set, and then he competes in the Tour de France. And it's, he's kidnapped. There's just so many things that go on. It's absolutely brilliant. Belleville Rendezvous. Is it in yeah. English or French? But it's a kind of cartoon in a way. So I can't actually remember whether it must be subtitled or whether maybe there aren't any words in it at all. Yeah, I'm not even sure that there are, there are actually spoken words in it. I need to watch it again, but it, it's absolutely fantastic. Now, before we take our break, I want, please, the origin of pedal and mm -hmm. saddle. Fundamental bicycle words. Okay, so if I said to you, have a guess, because we've done so many of these. If I say to you, saddle, does it sound like it comes more from, say, the Norman conquerors, or does it sound like maybe it came from our Germanic ancestors? Saddle? Well, it has a more of a, a French feel to it, saddle, because I said, by mistake, salad because I see saddle and I see yeah. salad, whereas pedal, I know, must relate to feet and mm, therefore come from Latin of some kind. OK, I'll put you out of your misery. You're, you're kind of, I mean, in some ways, both are right, because it's Old English and ultimately of Germanic origin. So in German, you have sattel, which is S-A-T-T-E-L. But 
both of them probably go back to the Latin cella, S-E-L-L-A, which meant to sit. And in fact, it's, but that means that is related to sit. Um, and pedal, you're absolutely right. It's from the Latin pes, ped, which meant a foot, which gave us pedestrian and it gave us pedestal as well. OK, let's take a quick break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Susie, you wrote a book about tribal language. What what, what mm. do you mean by tribal language, generally? Um, well, I just mean the language of particular groups of people, particular professions, people who are united by a passion, a job, and a language. So we all speak dozens of tribal languages, um, depending on who we're mixing with. So if you're a bird watcher, you will know exactly how to talk to your fellow birders. And if you're a Freemason, likewise, if you're a journalist, likewise, you will know about spiking a story or the slug of a subject, you know, all sorts of things. And, and honestly, you just have to dip your finger into any profession and you will start to realise, to feel that there's a whole shorthand there that has completely passed you by because you don't really need to speak it. And it's the same for cyclists. They have their own language which kind of defines them and it keeps them feeling as a united group and it keeps outsiders out. Well, look, let's some of the outsiders come in by giving me some of the cycling tribal language that you're familiar with and what it means. Okay, well, if you start with the, the cyclists themselves, you might have, well, the, you know you know when road users or, or car drivers, I suppose specifically, get extremely annoyed at cyclists, I think quite often the most common complaint is that they will jump a red light. They won't wait as cars have to at the red lights. And so and quite often it is incredibly dangerous. And I have to say it does give the rest of us a really bad name. So I hate the RLJs. They are the red light jumpers. A fairly obvious abbreviation there, but there are lots of them around. The cycling newbies in any sport, whether it's um, in surfing where you've got the shoebie, you will have a fairly disparaging nickname for the newbie, the beginner, the one that doesn't really know what they're doing. And in cycling, quite often they're known as Fred and Doris. Oh, uh, so maybe Giles now. Who should be Giles and Doris? I'm well. I'm a newbie at tricycling, so that's what it'll be. What about breeks? You mentioned bonking earlier, which surprised me. But breeks. Yes, breeks are simply you know that this is some of the kind of cycling shorts that you that you might wear. I think breeks particularly are sort of rather old fashioned now. I don't think people would talk about them particularly these days. Now you've got kind of matchy matchy 
shorts, jerseys and socks called super suits. You know, those ones that people wear that are highly branded and usually reflect the style of a particularly famous rider in the Tour de France. Those are super suits. Um, you've got the chamois spelt like chamois, the chamois leather that my mum used to use on silverware and furniture and that kind of thing. The chamois are either your padded cycling shorts or also you can have chamois cream and it's a wonder cream. I speak from experience here that kind of prevents chafing. And if you are wearing those padded cycling shorts, don't ever wear them with underwear. That's a complete no-no in the cycling world. Oh, you go commando. You go absolutely commando. Don't ask me where that comes from because no one knows. Very good. Is what I wear when I'm tricycling known as granny gear? Um, okay. If I, I think if we're being a little bit mean, we might call them granny gear. But actually, granny gear refers to the gear that you that you put your uh, your cycle into. So it's the one that, that actually makes you go incredibly slowly. And again, that's what car drivers get, tend to get a little bit. Uh, I've got gears on my tricycle, but I've never explored them. I just go at a steady pace, stately, oh, okay. stately as so a galleon. I'm not a speed merchant in any way. I don't think I'd be a speed merchant in a city situation. I definitely would be when out and about, but you have to be careful in the city. And you have to be particularly careful about endos, as they call them, which are kind of going straight over the handlebars, which again can happen quite often if you have to stop extremely quickly, in which case you might need some vitamin I. Do you know what the vitamin I might be? No idea. That's ibuprofen. Oh, that's, oh, that's, quite that's what you have to take after a biff, which is a crash. Our cycling is so different. The way you cycle and the way I tricycle, two totally different experiences. We should go out together one day, but I think you'll have got to Land's End as I'm just, you know, coming to the end of the Balls Pond Road. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have got to Land's End. I need to, I need to um, practice a little bit more, but it's just the most brilliant, brilliant sport, and I'm very, very impressed that you've that you've taken it up. As has Nick Hewitt, you know, who is the host of Countdown. He's got himself an exercise bike and also a, a proper bike, although I think his is slightly electric, and there is something very disconcerting about being overtaken by somebody who's 30 years older than me on a very steep hill, of which there are many around me, and then you realise that actually they are electric power, but they're still going round on the pedals. So it's, it's quite difficult to tell sometimes. I'm going to get an electric one for this very reason, so that people okay. will think, oh, it's just this old fool coming along here. And then suddenly I will sweep into the lead and cruise into town. What do you think? I do think I think it's a great idea, but I do think be careful because I know that Nick did have an endo. I know he it went faster than he realised and he did flip over. So be careful. Well, I'm always wearing my helmet. One last word before we move on to this. So much we've got to pack in today. Uh, helmet. Why on earth oh. is a helmet called a helmet? I never leave yeah. without wearing one. Um, well, that is German, and it's a kind of it means a, a little helm, <laughs> if you like. It essentially goes back to a root that means to cover or hide, and it's got some very strange siblings. So you've got the helmet, but you've also got a hole which I suppose makes sense because something might be covered. But it's also hell. It's related to hell with the idea of being hidden or covered and concealed, possibly underground. Good. Well, helmets on, chocks away. We can yeah. talk about that when we do our episode on um, aviation. don't think we've done one of those. We did an episode the other day all about the world of advertising, and that has provoked some yeah. correspondence, hasn't it? Give us the first letter you've picked out from the selection this week. 
Okay, so thank you to everybody, obviously, who writes in. We do we do read them all. This one comes from Bruce Fielding, and I absolutely love this one because, as you say, we did advertising last time, and Bruce says, as a long-serving listener and therefore a dyed-in-the-wool purple person, imagine my delight when you started the most recently released edition with my ad. When I wrote it, the jingle at the end wasn't my key focus, but rather the two Swedish women having a conversation with an actor whom you may well remember. However, the last line is the thing that people remember, and I'm very happy to know that Susie wore a belt with my word on it, despite my receiving nothing for it other than my salary as a young ad copywriter at the time. Now, I can tell you the actor in the ad was a young Mike Grady from Last of the Summer Wine and Citizen Smith as well. Um, Can you remember what my absolute favourite ad was? Well, I can. Uh, This was the the lip-smacking Pepsi ad, and I think I would like you please to reprise... Um, that moment from it that you gave us. New listeners, this is why you tuned in to Something Rhymes With Purple, (laughs) for this kind of audio magic. Well, I wish I could play Bruce's real thing, um, not to muddle it up with the other other cola brand. Um, but it was lip smacking, thirst quenching, ace tasting, motivating, good buzzing, cool, talking high, walking fast, living, ever giving, cool fizzing, Pepsi. Kind of went like that. And the joy of Something Rhymes With Purple is you can play the podcast again and again. People will be turning that into a kind of little loop. I think you could become kind of, um, uh, what they call it, something, an earworm? Is it called an earworm? An earworm. Yeah, that's from the German It gets into your head and goes round and round and round. Marvellous. Yes. We've had, the joy is we have people who are, ad people who who listen to us, and we have people from all over the world who listen to us. And this is a letter from, uh, an email from Jess Matthews, a music teacher in New Zealand. Hi, Susie and Giles. Greetings from New Zealand. You had a question on a previous podcast, the Slughorn one, about the word clobber, which uh, you mentioned briefly could have Romany roots. I am Romany says Jess Matthews, uh, originally from the UK. And you might be pleased to know that as far as my family can tell, this is true. My father grew up speaking Romany as his first language and has taught me some of it. Also, as a side note, Charles, if you want to be taxidermied, you need to take care. Uh, Bentham's head was not as much of a success as his body. Well, that's interesting. This is because we were talking about taxidermy and I mentioned Jeremy Bentham's body being on display at University College London. Yeah. Thank you Mm. for being with me during my commute to and from school. Well, that's a marvellous music teacher. Let's go back to the Romany word, uh, clobber. Remind me this language, Romany. It has Mm. Roman roots. It comes from where? Where? Romania? What, What is Romany? Yeah, it's interesting because quite often we got our geography wrong in the olden days. So, for example, gypsy, gypsies, which is now spelt with a capital G, so recognised ethnic group, um, they were thought to come from Egypt, hence the uh, gypsy. And Romani is an Indo-European language and it's related to Hindi, um, in fact. And I think they originated in South Asia, and then they kind of dispersed across Europe and North and South America. But their language is quite closely related to Hindi. And Rom or Romani, I think, means man or husband. So I guess it was like the sort of the patriarchal tongue, I guess. And it's given us, you know, quite a few words in English, like um, having a deco, for example, having a look, that comes from Romani, chap, quite a few words. We actually, it would be great to do 
maybe a, a, an episode at some point on the Romani language. Interestingly, somebody else has had vaccinations. Uh, it's Phil from Billy Ricky. I had my first vaccination today and a friend asked me how it went. I said I was fine, except my arm hurt like Billy-o. Who or what was Billy? Oh, and indeed, how is it spelt? Uh, is it Billy-o with an O-H? Billy-o without an H? What is the origin? Any idea? Yeah. Yeah, well, it, the dictionary will tell you its unknown origin, um, but it will tell you it's spelt Billy, like the boy's name, and then a hyphen and then an O. Um, the letter O. Uh, lots and lots of theories. Some go back to the early steam engine called Puffing Billy, which, of course, might propel you along like Billy-O. Um, some with Good King Billy, William III, who burned his name into Irish memory, I guess, at the Battle of the Boyne. But the dates don't really fit for any of those. And I think the best bet is that it's actually part of a euphemism for like the devil, which dates back to Shakespearean times. And you'll remember that the devil appears in all sorts of ways. What the Dickens, for example, like because Dickens was a euphemism for the devil. And there are expressions older than Billy Owen, which Billy is a euphemism for the devil. So Billy be damned, for example. Mm. Um, or I think you could give somebody all Billy hell. So I think that it is related to that. If you go like Billy you go like the devil. Very good. I think you've got the answer there. You deliver. You always do. Chris and Bridget Fletcher from Lewis in East Sussex, they want to know where the word deliver comes from. Is it to take the liver from an animal and present it to deliver? I know the liver is prized among hunters. Deliver. Where does that come from? Uh, so no, not related at all. So deliver goes back to the Latin liber, which means free, um, which also gave us liberty. So I guess if you remember in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, the idea is that you will free them or emancipate them from evil. And then the idea, I guess, is of free trade, setting free goods as you kind of, you know, um, dispatch them, etc. Um, and I think that was that was the kind of slightly circuitous journey that it took from freeing and liberating someone from evil to actually delivering a letter through your door. And the liver of our body is simply uh, for the German Leber, L-E-B-E-R, and you still have Leberwurst, the liver sausage in German. You really deliver. No <laughs> episode of Something Rhymes With Purple is complete without a bit of Leberwurst. We always need a sausage. We also can't end without Susie's trio. What are the three interesting, unusual words that you want us to add to our vocabularies this week? Well, my first one is perhaps reflective of what people might have been doing since, certainly in Britain, the pubs opened, at least for outside eating and for outside drinking. And I know so many people were looking forward to to doing that and to having a bouffage with their friends. Bouffage sounds like a very elaborate hairstyle, but actually it's an enjoyable blowout meal. It's a slap up meal, a bouffage. Another French word. I just love the sound of this, Charles. It's an escarmouche. Escarmouche. Uh, escarmouche. E-S-C-A-R-M-O-U-C-H-E. And it's a brief kind of skirmish, a brief argument or a fit of pique. An escarmouche. Love that one. And the third one is actually a pretty good description of me. Actually used to be applied exclusively to men, but I'm going to allow myself into this particular club. A golumpus, G-O-L-L-U-M-P-U-S, is a clumsy, loutish person. 
So technically, should a female galumpus be a galumpa? Galumpa, I love that. I don't think it goes back to Latin. I think it's Yorkshire dialect, but oh, really? I like the idea of it. So <laughs> you, when you're being clumsy, you're a galumpus. That's a very good yes. word because it word. it's memorable. It trips off the tongue. It's brilliant. I agree. Here's a little poem that I think is memorable. It's from okay. a collection of poems by a friend of mine called Jane McCulloch. And I love her poetry. She writes short poems and a lot of love poems. And her love poems are always rather bittersweet. And this is from her collection called The Breaking Wave. And it is a bittersweet love poem. It's simply called You Still Don't Understand. I tried to tell you in a letter. Now I'll say it in a verse. When good, no one was better. When bad, no one was worse. <sighs> Don't know if that rings any bells with anybody listening, but if it does and uh, you want to tell us all about it or send us any of your short poems, please do. And any questions you've got about words and language, we're here simply to explore the wonderful world of words. It's something rhymes with purple, and to communicate, you email us purple at somethingelse.com. That's something without a G. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Harriet Wells, Steve Ackerman, Ella McLeod, Jay Beale, and... No Galumpus he. Gully! Gully! <laughs>